0: Hey everybody, before we start the episode, I do just want to recognize that the releases have been a bit odd in terms of when they're actually coming out on the podcast feed. That is now fixed. We had a issue with our server. Uh, We had a bit of a problem with that, but it's done now. All of our episodes should be coming out very much on time. Thank you very much and let's get into it. This podcast is brought to you by Gridiron Heroics Media. Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys. Welcome, one and all, to the Gridiron Heroics Football Show. I'm Max Dean. You can find me on Twitter at TheMaxDean. And today is our big midweek show. That means that we're going to do some news tidbits. Then we're going to do an injury report with Kyle Trimble. Then we are going to do a college football update with Max Chadwick before jumping into fantasy fallout with Matthew Brown. And finally, we're going to preview the Saints versus Cardinals Thursday Night Football game with Brendan Ertle of SB Nation. So it's a big show. If you're following on the podcast, that's all going to be one. If you are watching on YouTube, each of these segments will be individually uploaded so you can find them all on the channel but you just have to click on them separately. All right. Let me welcome Julius Lux to the show. How you doing today, my man?
1: I'm all good.
2: I heard Fantasy Fallout sounds like my team. Lost by five points. <laughs> it was very very hurtful. Um, shout, out, shout out Valdez Scandling for getting me a whopping zero
0: when I lost by five. Yeah. Look, you can't have it all, man. You, you, your team won by I like know. 100 like <laughs> points last, the other week. Your, your team advanced would, in the playoffs <laughs> in baseball. Like they are going to lose I, a few.
2: I think it's just a matter of I'd rather get blown out in fantasy than lose by so so little because I had the chart. I had Herbert and Eckler playing, so I was mm. depending on them, and Herbert didn't throw a single touchdown pass. And, Her- mm. and Eckler had like 15, I think it was, so, you know, reasonable. Like, very solid performance, but Herbert with, like, eight. Yeah. And yep. then I see, like, all my bench guys had at least, f- like, five. So if I had one in, it would have either been <laughs> a you know, closer loss or, like, tied.
0: Like, it would have yeah. been one of the two. I don't remember what it was. It's nothing like sweating out Monday Night Football to try and win a fantasy football game. I, I, I feel Yeah,
2: like I, I had a four-game win streak, too. I just wanted to keep that going. So I lost, I lost my first week, then four in a row, and I was like, you know, boards are getting hot, and then... I lost to one
0: of the worst teams in the league. It just sucks. But other than <laughs> hey, that, it happens. I gotta, I gotta reach out to whoever this person you played is, letting them know you're talking this trash on. on the you might have to. <laughs> you might
2: have to.
0: You've been so lucky, though. I mean, your 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 Cowboys are on a. We're on a four game win streak with a backup quarterback. I mean, mm-hmm. he, you know, you're, you're you're killing it. You're doing just fine. I I only have so much sympathy for you, but. Uh, but all right, look. Well, first of all, let me pull up my uh, sound drop here for, Let's do for it. our YouTube video. Let me see where, where are we at? Got to get that gong going. Got to shout out Johnny V. Johnny V, this, this is an actual reuse sound drop because I just loved it so much from an old podcast that I did. Oh no. <laughs> I'm in a different studio and I don't have it uploaded. All right. Well, just imagine that uh, somebody harmonized tidbits and, and hit a gong. And uh, (laughs) I'll add it in post (laughs) and we can do the news. All right. What do you got for us today? All
2: right. So this one happened literally in the last like couple hours in an owner's meeting regarding an extension for Roger Goodell, Robert Kratz and Jerry Jones got into a heated exchange. So the owners had voted a 31 to one vote to permit negotiations on Goodell's extension Jones was the one who voted against it and this is of course is not his first time opposing Roger Goodell as commissioner you know he's never had the friendliest take and this is where things got heated between the two big time owners
0: yeah yeah Wickersham is dropping balls so this is another Seth Wickersham article I believe and uh so from what I read, basically, it's not necessarily that he opposes Goodell outright as being commissioner, but he's like, he's, he wants to make him earn his money. It basically was along the lines of um, make sure his bonuses are tied to finance, like financial achievements, not vague success. You know what I mean? So he's like, he want, he really he wants to make sure Goodell is like, you know, accomplishing every single metric that they set out for him. To earn that money so he's look jerry jerry's always been a penny pincher man that's how he got as wealthy as he is so uh, it's just that's just in his nature
2: can i say jerry (laughs) jerry loves jerry as a cowboys (laughs) fan i see it from the inside and out but um
0: jerry's gonna be jerry too
2: yeah literally he always will be he'll never change he'll never be sorry (laughs) moving on to the other part of Texas in the NFL, Jack Easterby has been fired by the Houston Texans. He was the executive vice president of football operations. He will no longer be in charge of that. This this is effective immediately.
0: Yeah, this is something that, that Texans fans have been waiting for for a long time. This is just one of those weird situations where everybody from former players to current players to former staff to media, the to fans—nobody liked this guy. Everyone had a very negative opinion of him, and he's generally generally considered a cancel or a, a cancer in the team culture. And so, it's it's just hard to understand why it took so long. I guess it's just because they they didn't want to set a precedent where just because fans demanded it, it happened immediately. I don't think there was a final straw. I mean, who the heck knows? Not nah, I'm not inside the building, obviously, but. My guess is that they've just been waiting to pull the plug on this for a while. Um, and I think the team's better off for it.
2: Yeah, I think just the team's failures as well as the Deshaun Watson drama. I feel like I read somewhere that it's it's obviously nothing to do with it, but you never know. There could be something related to it. Maybe it was like known before and the team didn't do anything about it You know, earlier as time went on. But I heard that could potentially very unlikely but potentially be an, a factor as well i read that somewhere when i was breezing
0: through this yeah well i am not not sure necessarily if it is or it's not it may it may not necessarily have been him being compliant in it or anything like that but i, I yeah. believe believe this is kind of hearsay but essentially they may have had some idea that it was going on before the contract extension happened And obviously he was a major player in the organization when that all took place. So look, a lot of it's speculation. The only thing that is known for sure without any shadow of a doubt is that almost nobody liked this guy. And, and he was probably in a a role that was, he was unsuited for based on experience in terms of not really having a lot of football background. So anyway, he's out, he's gone. Houston fans can breathe a big sigh of relief and, and hope that, their team can continue to build with quality draft picks over the next few years and be a contender for years to come.
2: Rejoice and be glad Texan fans moving on. (laughs) Trade talks have occurred with multiple players. As we know, the deadline is approaching some names that have been thrown out there in terms of teams, listening to offers Christian McCaffrey and Cam Akers. I think Christian McCaffrey is a huge one, obviously because of his status, basically being the Panthers only weapon on offense. And this comes after, of course, Matt Rule is fired, new interim coach. And the owner said in a in a I think it was a press conference about earlier in the year, he needed like five, six years to kind of get the the franchise rebuilt to somewhat of a championship contender. And then now it looks like their franchise player is on the is on the block. And with Cam Akers, Sean McVay is confident Akers will be dealt.
0: Yeah, I think Akers is unhappy with the situation, and I I don't I don't know. There's obviously a schism there. Um, Panthers are looking to to move assets. I know that there was a little bit more to it with Robbie Anderson being upset on the sideline, but obviously they're willing to move on from notable players. Their their season hasn't gone well. The coach is fired. They they are looking to rebuild, get some assets. They're probably going to have a high draft pick, so they might be able to go after a quarterback. And if they can move McCaffrey for something halfway decent, they can become a young, talented team quickly. So, I don't know. This is a... uh, That's a complicated one because he's expensive. He's expensive and he's injury prone. So it's hard to imagine that they're actually going to get legitimate value back for what he's worth on a football field in terms of compensation. So I think it's best to move on from him if they're him. It's just... It might be tough to find somebody, you know, to dance with. Like you might just have to take a, a less than spectacular deal just to just to start getting in in the right direction. I
2: was going to say injury
0: prone is definitely a factor with this, especially
2: knowing that McCaffrey could probably pull off a deal like Herschel Walker esque in terms of value on the field. The last few years have been very shaky in terms of staying on the field. First of all, in order to perform, you got to be able to play. And that's been a, that's been a big question mark, obviously. So Mm -hmm. it's going to be interesting to see if they can get a deal that a, the Panthers can of course have their standards, you know, humbled as well as an offer that they can, that a team is willing to pay. Even if they don't mind, he's injury prone. Right. But the Panthers, they did trade Robbie Anderson to the Arizona Cardinals for a 2024 sixth-round pick and a 2025 seventh-round pick. This trade comes after Marquise Hollywood-Brown's foot injury, which will cause him to miss, I believe, six weeks. And Anderson's scuffle with Panthers receiving coach and got sent back to the locker room during the game. So after all of the scuffling in that game this past Sunday for Robbie Anderson, his Panther career is now over.
0: Yeah. That's surprising. I mean, I love Robbie Anderson. He, he's, you know, he was the only halfway decent player on a Jets offense for like three years. <laughs> and so right. I, you know, I felt for him at the time. Um, He's always been a guy to wear his heart on his sleeve. And if he gets upset or frustrated, he will show it. You kind of, kind of know that when you, when you sign up for, or when you sign him, I should say, but he was a Matt rule guy. So they probably just, you know, don't feel any obligation to keep him once Matt rule is gone and, now he can go down to Arizona and be on another dysfunctional team and maybe help turn things around. So we'll we'll see. Look, I mean, it's, things haven't gone well there. They're getting DeAndre Hopkins back. They're getting Robbie Anderson there. Maybe combined, they actually can make an impact and and still be relevant by the time Hollywood Brown actually comes back from injury. So who knows? Yeah, we sh- we shall see
2: how Arizona does it because we God knows with that team. But going on to the nation's capital with Carson Wentz having surgery on his finger. Taylor Heineke will be the starting quarterback moving forward for now in Wentz's absence. He will start against the Packers this upcoming week with rookie Sam Howell being his backup.
0: Yep. Um, This is an interesting one because this injury alone might make it so that he misses the 70% play uh, um, standard. I guess I should say it more clearly. This injury could cause him to not play 70% of the snaps throughout the entire season, which is the trigger for the Colts to get a second round pick in the upcoming draft instead of a third round pick in the upcoming draft. So, Commander's fans, I think mostly, are just hoping that either this injury or the coaching staff decides to just not play him so that they can keep that second-round pick, because most of them see this as a lost season. Colts fans are very much hoping that he does get back sooner rather than later so they can have an extra second-round pick. The organization probably would find it difficult to not play him if he's not injured. So this this is a situation that, you know, second-round pick versus third-round pick, maybe this far away doesn't feel like that much, but when it comes to draft time, and, you know, that could be uh, potentially high second round pick. You know what I mean? Like the way the commanders are playing, that could be a top 40 pick, which is almost as good as a first rounder in itself. So, I mean, it it does make a big difference. So this is something to monitor for sure. Absolutely. So we shall see what
2: Taylor Heineke does moving forward while Wentz is injured, especially too with uh, the way Robert Vera basically said, we don't have a quarterback. So I wonder how that's going to go moving forward. But going (laughs) going to the Steel City, in pittsburgh kenny pickett is in concussion protocol and he will start against the dolphins if he is cleared to play he won't be limited in practice when he returns to the field on thursday of course they're going to check him out go through the process and he suffered the head injury in their win against tampa bay and they'll see his status in terms of the game during their practice and workouts
0: yeah, it is possible that by the time you're hearing this podcast, he will will already know if he play if he practiced on Thursday or not. Um, but uh, yeah, it's something interesting to monitor. I, you know, that's interesting with Tua and him. That's it's a lot of head injuries to go around for the quarterback position. I mean, I'm worried mm-hmm. about I'm worried about Tua in that game because that defensive front is very good even without T.J. Watt. And that offensive line is awful for Miami. But, um, yep, I, I mean, again, this is just something to report on. I don't know what the takeaway could really be aside from I hope he doesn't get another one, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Just got to hope. Got to hope and,
2: you know, wish him the best and we'll, we shall see. That's all I can really say to that. But moving into a, a pretty solid solid piece of news for you. Delaney Walker announced his retirement from the NFL after 14 seasons with the 49ers and the Tennessee Titans He earned three Pro Bowls in his career. He retires with 504 catches for 5,888 yards and 36 touchdowns. This was a guy I used to draft late in fantasy football. So I want to say thank you for your service for my team over the (laughs) last few years and wish you the best in your next part of your life.
0: Yeah. uh, He was a good player. He kind of came on later in his career. You know, he he wasn't he didn't have a hot start, and that's not uncommon for tight ends. But uh, yeah, I mean, he had a solid career Wait, fourteen seasons. That's so, I I don't even think I realized that he was a fourteen season guy.
2: He was really low on the depth charts in the forty ers organization for some time, and then when he came to Tennessee, it it just came he just came out of nowhere, and he was basically a reliable target for that time being when it, they didn't really have a solution at quarterback.
0: But I remember when he came to Tennessee. I mean, he wasn't with the Forty ers organization for almost ten years, was he? That's that's crazy. I can huh, check yeah. real quick. Yeah, I'm about to say
2: I'm about to check this real quick.
0: Yeah, look, I, I mean, anyway, regardless of exactly how long he played for, the the career was solid, and he was a, a notable part of those, especially early success. Titans teams with Mike Vrabel and you know Derek Henry picking up steam and the Ryan Tannehill coming over, like he him moving on has kind of opened up the door for them to have sort of a revolving door at tight end. Um, Nobody has been quite uh, as impactful as him. I guess John New Smith had had a you know a little bit of a time there. How when did he go to Tennessee? Maybe I'm getting my timeline like a little bit. It does
2: say it does say 14 seasons up here, so
0: I'm very it's pretty
2: interesting, but I can definitely. I know he was there for basically almost his whole—he was there,
0: obviously, most of his time. All right, let's take a look here. Riveting Podcast. It's a 2006 NFL draft. Good Lord. He played for the San Francisco 49ers from 2006 to 2012, and then for the Titans from 2013 to 2019. Yeah, he was in there for—he's been there for a while. I did not realize that he was with the Titans since 2013. I guess this past decade has gone by pretty fast. This this was my tight end freshman year of high school in fantasy. I'm telling you, this was my guy. <laughs> wow. Okay, so in 2013, I was only, when he was signed with them, I was only, I would only have been 22. My God. That's basically how <laughs> that's, old I am. Uh, that's nuts. That, that was a long time ago for me. Man. It, I, okay. I guess when time flies, you
2: just forget how long people really played for yeah well I guess especially 14 years in the NFL too. that that also
0: well I think part of it is because because a because so he came on late look we got to get to some other news but he came on late I didn't really get into the NFL until 2010 so I didn't even realize he'd already been in the league for four years five years at that point you know what I mean yeah like I started following in 2009 started really following in 2010 so it I guess that's why it didn't feel so long, and I also just didn't remember that he was with Tennessee so long, especially because he didn't have his first Pro Bowl with them until 2015. So he was there playing okay for two years before he broke out. So it's like he was a real late bloomer. I guess so, and
2: I mean, like I said, he was a very reliable target when he did when he did bloom. So again, we wish him the best in his next part of his life. Moving on back to back to some injuries real quick: an ankle sprain. Randall Cobb suffered another loss to the Jets. We'll hold him out two to four weeks. This is good news after seeing the way he did come off the field. He was carted off, and it looked like he was holding back tears of pain. I don't know if you really saw that. I, I'm sure you actually did because you watched you watched the Jets game. So this is a this is a loss for a struggling Packers offense. So they'll be out without Randall Cobb for some time.
0: Yeah, I didn't I didn't get the imp- not obviously not in his mind, but I didn't get the impression it was tears of pain. I I got the impression that it was him being afraid that he was going to be out for an extended period of time and not being able to help his teammates, you know, especially when you become an older player, you never really know when it's, that's kind of it for you. You know what I mean? So like, yeah, absolutely. If the free agent market wasn't hot for him in this upcoming year, or like I, I can't remember what his contract situation is, but it, you know, maybe he just doesn't play anymore. So I got the feeling it, it was more emotional than, than physical pain. Although I'm sure, I'm sure mm-hmm. it hurt, but. Yeah, but, yeah, that's good for them that it's not a, a very long-term situation.
2: Absolutely. Moving to Dallas, it looks like Dak Prescott will return under center when the Cowboys host the Lions on Sunday. Jerry Jones says he doesn't believe the starting quarterback will have any limitations once he gets on the field of practice. So the Cooper Rush era seems to be over as of right now, and Dak Prescott will be back on the field.
0: Yeah. Um, this is good. I think they really needed him. I think you saw the limitations of the offense with Cooper Rush this past Sunday night. And I think he did a really nice job for a while, but when you play a legit defense, you need a guy who has more physical tools. You need to be able to fit the ball into tight windows. You know what I mean? You need to be able to escape pressure at times. And that's while Dak might not be the most physically gifted quarterback in the NFL. He's certainly a a major step above what Cooper Rush has to offer in that category. And I think, there's a reason that Cooper rushes a career backup because he can, he can play effectively, but when he has to make plays himself, he just doesn't really have that in him. I think so. It's good for the Cowboys that they're getting him back because it, you know, it can basically get, get right back on track. Hopefully.
2: Yeah. I'm hoping number four gets it done. I mean, Cooper got, what was it four wins, five wins. I mean, he did a pretty solid job in, in the time he had, they didn't play, you know, completely big time teams until they reached philly but it's still you got you get nfl shot you do what you got to do you got to keep your team in the race and he did so props Mm -hmm. to him all right moving on so two players got benched during the monday night matchup i don't know if you really noticed this but jc jackson one of the highest paid corners in the league got taken out after Los Angeles' head coach said it just wasn't good enough and felt like we needed a change. On the opposite sideline, Melvin Gordon didn't get his revenge match that he expected against his former team. After three carries for eight yards, he did not see the rest of the game after being taken out of the second quarter. He said it hurt a lot.
0: Yeah, I didn't didn't keep up with the storyline of that. J.C. Jackson has been a major disappointment, and I know he's been hurt. Mm We talked. I, I can't remember if you and I talked about this or I've talked about it with somebody else on the show. But J.C. Jackson, there were rumblings that maybe he wasn't like the biggest competitor, that he wasn't necessarily the hardest worker in uh, in New England, and that's why the Patriots never even offered him a contract because they were like they didn't trust what he would be like with a large paycheck. And it, you don't want to be too hard on a guy that had an injury, but. If he's being pulled out of the game, that's probably a reason why. And then as far as Melvin Gordon goes, I have no idea because he's always been like a pretty fierce competitor. So I don't know. I mean, they must have, they must have, there must have been something. There, maybe there was an injury, like a, a, maybe they felt that he was just not effective and they just, Didn't want him to hurt himself or something. I don't know, because three carries is not exactly a big sample size. Yeah, they really relied on Latavius Murray that night. It was, I noticed
2: that, I noticed Murray was getting most of the carries. I didn't realize Gordon only had three carries. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that. Last piece of news I got for you. Deshaun, Deshaun Jackson is back. He is signing with the Baltimore Ravens. The 35-year-old will join the practice squad and play in his 15th season.
0: It's wild, wild to see that he is still playing, and he's Flat still twist. fast too. Still fast. So I think
2: I, I saw something where it was like he had the most yards after catch in his career in his last season he played.
0: I think. Well, it was, it was a small sample fact. size. I mean, he only. Well, I mean, the last season he played was with the Rams, I believe. And how many, how many receptions did he even have that year? I'm. I feel like that's like one of those stats yeah. that's like he he caught you know and he probably caught like 16 passes or something like that and, <laughs> and one of them went for like 99 yards or something so like it, it skews let me see uh, i think it like was
2: it, i think it was 22.7 was the number
0: yards after catch yeah so it definitely Plus, had to be just a deep ball threat type of weapon that year yeah i think he he, had, he caught like two big ones so his last one he Oh, he played with the Raiders. Oh, that's right. Rams in twenty twenty one, and then played with the Raiders briefly. So let's look at twenty twenty one stats because I, I bet it's like, I bet it's like, like fifteen or sixteen. More matches, realistic, yeah. Like um, Sean, while I looked that up, why don't you let everybody know where they can find you because we're about to wrap up this segment. And I do yeah, well, appreciate you, but let him know.
2: Of course, let's kill two birds with one stone. You can find me on Twitter, Gatchus44. That's Gatchus44 on Twitter. You can find me on GrayonHeroics.com with all my articles and appearances on the show, and on Facebook,
0: Julius Lux. All right, beautiful. So, 2021, he played. He played it. It was active for 16 games. Started for six. Yeah, 34 targets for 20 catches. So 20 catches, and he had 454 yards. So, I mean, obviously, chunk plays, but mm-hmm. over the course of a season as a starting receiver, like, that wouldn't happen. He got some situational moments, so um, I was close. Not 16, but 20, not far off. All right, Julius, appreciate you, man. Thank you so much, and we will see you tomorrow. Sounds good. All right, we are back with Kyle Trimble, a doctor of physical therapy, and he runs Banged Up Bills, and we are going to talk about the injury report from NFL Week Six. Kyle, how are you doing today?
3: I'm doing very well, Max. Thanks for having me on again.
0: My pleasure as always. Kyle does a phenomenal job. He's featured on several podcasts and YouTube channels to talk about NFL injuries, and he just brings something. We were just talk, I was talking to Nick on on um he does the, the draft episode for us on Thursdays, and he was just talking. I mean, he said that this is his favorite segment in the whole show, and I feel, <laughs> I feel similarly. I mean, it's just I think it's something really cool and unique that we do, and I say unique. Obviously, you're on a few shows, but still, like compared to the vast majority of what's out there, I, I think it's a, it's a very cool thing. But um, look, we got quite a few. We've got six different uh, divisions that we want to touch on today, so let's jump right into uh, let's do the NFC West first.
3: All right. So we got several different injuries in that area. Um, we got the Arizona Cardinals. They're dealing with um, wide receiver Marquise Brown dealing with a uh, left foot injury. It's a fracture. Um, how I read it was it was to a um, bone. It was it did, would not require surgery, but he's going to be out for um, an indefinite timeline according to head coach uh, Cliff Kingsbury. But the timeline looks to be more six weeks there. Uh, which is a pretty typical uh, timeline for a, a broken bone to heal up. Uh, so it looks like he's going go to go IR, but this was a far better outcome than what it looked to be. Cause what happened was he fell down and his left foot kind of just collapsed in on itself, which is a common mechanism you see with a list fronk injury. Um, and there also could be been some other possibilities for that. So the fact that they said that this was only a small fracture in the bone that can heal up in six weeks, that's great for their outcomes. And you know, with with Brown being out for the next six weeks, they are getting DeAndre Hopkins back from suspension, which will be a nice addition. So you're going to get a one-for-one one trade, and if they start improving their their record and, and accelerating in the NFC West, getting Brown back when he's fully healthy could be a, a lethal tandem um, come December uh, when, when he's fully healthy. So it's unfortunate, but injuries are a part of football with that. Um, other injuries include um, – the Rams, their offensive tackle, Joe Noteboom, did tear his Achilles, so he's out for the year. Um, that's just an unfortunate injury they see there because see the eccentric attraction of the calf. You're trying to push against a, a big force. They're getting you pushing back. You're trying to co- contract the muscle, and something eventually gives, hence the Achilles tear. And then finally, the 49ers, uh, they're dealing with cornerback Shavarius Ward with a groin injury. Offensive tackle, Mike McGlinchey with a calf. And they're still out. Nick Bosa, who's dealing with a groin injury, and they face the Chiefs here um, next week in Week Seven. So that's not going to be a good uh, matchup for them, especially with the Chiefs coming off a loss to the Bills on Sunday. So M. C. West is getting banged up, but um, you know they're still going to be moving along, and at least the Cardinals are getting some relief with uh, Hopkins coming back.
0: Yeah, I think the Cardinals is a really big one. It, it stinks that that Brown is out. They did just trade for Robbie Anderson. So they still have the speed element to their game. Um, and that kind of lets DeAndre Hopkins step right back in as the number one guy. And then maybe if he really is healthy in, in as many weeks as they're projecting and, you know, they would have to be in position to make the playoffs anyway, but, but that would be a nice little receiving core to go from, you know, the first almost half the season with, with only Hollywood Brown. So, we shall see. And then the the Niners, man, they just can't catch a break. It's like everybody, you know, they they had such a good defense. And now one by one, those guys are kind of dropping off. I mean, I hope they can overcome it because they were a really fun team to watch when everybody was was full bore out there. But I don't know. It's tough. And the Rams, just another one too. like the offensive line already wasn't playing well. So losing their left tackles. I don't even know. I don't even know what to say, it- man. It's
3: insult to injury. That's, that's yes. what it comes down to. Yeah. So, yeah. but, um, it, that that's just, just how it goes in football. I mean, the injuries can be the great equalizer those, those teams that had Super Bowl aspirations. Don't even make the playoffs because they just beat up so much. I mean, set with it's the Ravens true. last year. Um, you've seen that in past seasons, sometimes some teams can overcome it. Um, but other teams just, sometimes it just, it becomes too great. You lose too many guys and it just doesn't happen. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, that and injuries and follow time are undefeated, I guess, in a sense.
0: Yeah, 100%. And I think it's why depth is so important in the NFL. I think, you know, in college you have all this built-in depth, especially if you're a, a high-end program where you just have all these recruits. But it's really, 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 really challenging to build that depth. And I think there are a few teams who have done a really good job of that. And the Bills have been fairly fortunate with injuries overall, but they're kind of one of those teams that's, sort of built to overcome it either way.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. So we'll move to the NFC South next. Uh, we got the Buccaneers tight end Cameron Brait. He went out with a neck injury. Um, I believe I saw he was carred off on or not carred off, but he was taken off on the, the, um, the board with part of the ambulance as part of the precaution um, though. They designate as a neck injury. Uh, he could still have a concussion, this would be a second one in three weeks if that did happen. And if he's had a concussion again, they're going to keep him out for probably at least a month just because you got the heat still coming off from the Tua viola issue, you know, the new concussion protocols. And it's not saying that they have to be out longer because of that, but it's historically when you see a guy being out for a concussion, maybe be out a week. And then when you're out for have another one, then you're looking at uh, maybe being out a month just to make sure everything stays up. And then when you start having more and more, it just kind of keeps adding on to each other. So um, it's definitely not good to see that he's having so many injuries like that. But you gotta keep the player healthy um, first and foremost and figure out all the other stuff with that. So give him a month off if he needs to. But it's just unfortunate when you see guys have an injury, and then another injury similar to that later on shortly thereafter.
0: Yeah. You know what it, it kind of feels like this season? It feels like every team that we talk about seems to be a recurring team. I mean the 49ers, the Bucks. I mean a lot of these teams. It's like we're talking about these same teams every single week, it's not the same players. It's different guys. So they're they they've got some of their wide receivers back, but now they lose braids. so they're struggling to kind of hang in there right now too.
3: Absolutely, that's something I did notice when I was working for uh, the game day. Uh, I would do these injury reports for fantasy and betting aspects, and that was what I did notice there too. It was, it seemed like the same injuries kept on coming up. I talked about the Ravens a lot last year. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it just seemed like, it's like, okay, when's this going to end? I feel like I keep hitting on the same bets for the same people or the same teams, but just those injuries were having such a big impact on, you know, the betting line. So um, it just, sometimes that's just how it is, but that's a great observation though. we are talking about the same teams again and again.
0: Yeah, so is that it for the uh, NFC South, or do you have one more? Yeah, move
3: that, on? that was that was the only one, but it's just scary when you see a guy have you know two head injuries like that in three weeks here. So, uh, yeah. we will move over to the NFC North. Uh, Randall Cobb, the wide receiver, um, he did suffer a left hand or excuse me, a left high ankle strain. No, let me say that again, left <laughs> high ankle sprain when he got uh, he got fallen on from behind, which is a classic mechanism. Yeah, the foot go into eversion and burst deflection and get turned outward, uh, Injuries of syndesmosis. Um, It's unfortunate. You can't really do too much about some of those injuries. They didn't say they originally thought it was a fracture from what I saw, but then they said that it was um, a better outcome than a high ankle sprain. So he's looking at at least the next two or three weeks out. I haven't seen whether they want to move him to injury reserve, Um, but he's going to be out for a few weeks here. Um, They're playing the commanders or no, um, they were playing, they're playing the commanders last week. I, I can't remember off the top of my head who they're playing, uh, here shortly, but you know, they're going to need all the weapons they can get, especially with the Packers being, I think three and three right now, they're, they're being really underwhelming. So losing Cobb, even though he's an older veteran wide receiver, he does know the offense and has that connection with, uh, Aaron, uh, Rogers. So,
0: um,
3: it's unfortunate, but that's just once again, part of football there.
0: Yeah. It looks like they're playing the commanders coming up here. This Week they played the Jets last week, so you had that's who it was, sir. So, yeah, yeah. Yes,
3: <laughs> so yeah, it is what it is. Sometimes things kind of blend together with the schedule. Oh, like, wait, did I see me, that I play? But, yeah, <laughs> I know. So, but that so playing the commanders could be a welcome reprieve because we'll get into their the commanders issues here in a second. But playing the commanders could be a welcome bounce back game to move to four and three if the Packers can pull that off against an NFC opponent there. So, yeah. heading. Yeah, heading into the NFC East there next, we got the the Commanders. Carson Wentz is going to be out for at least the next four or six weeks with a broken ring finger um, on his throwing hand, and he's gonna have surgery to help uh, stabilize the fracture and ensure it to heal up faster. Now, the issue with the ring finger is while well, there's not a ton of strength in there in terms of um, you know throwing a football, it's not like you it's not like the pinky where you can derive a lot of strength from your hand or even your thumb there. The ring finger isn't needed as much, but you still need that for gripping, which. Uh, you know, it's good that he can come back, but any wobble on the ball, any less accuracy, it's not going to be great. Especially for somebody who, as talented as Carson Wentz is, he hasn't been able to put it together since like his what rookie, maybe second season in the league when when they won the Super Bowl with the Eagles. So they also don't want to rush him back anyway. And I did see something online about how if he plays in I think seventy percent or less of the snaps that the draft compensation changes from the for the Colts there. So mm-hmm. the commanders might not be in a rush to get him out there, especially if they're looking to change up the uh, front office or even the coaching staff, because they've just been underwhelming over the past few years with Ron Rivera under the helm um, over in Washington. And then the other injury I know is uh, Eagles Lane Johnson, their offensive tackle. He's out with a concussion again. Um, according to the Philadelphia Inquirer, this is his third concussion in five years, which isn't, uncommon to see but the article that the uh, that i referenced here they're talking about the mental health with lane johnson they talk about what you know player safety with that there um i do know there's been other players that have had more concussions um you know jordan reed he was with the washington 49ers a few other teams there um he had i think up to seven concussions mitch morse with the bills he's now had now i believe five concussions in his career so you could have multiple concussions but at some point you got to wonder when the player does say, Hey, I, I don't want to do this anymore, but I don't get the sense that um, he's going to retire or anything like that. But it just, it's just interesting that the tone of the article, when I went to go do a little research for this.
0: Yeah. Well, I think it's just, we spent a lot of time talking about concussions. They kind of faded out of the mainstream, you know, group thought for a little while. You know, the NFL have been doing so much to try and make it look like they are really making that an effort. And now, after the Tua Loa situation, which we'll talk about as soon as we talk about the AFC East here in a minute, it's all back to the forefront. And I was just talking with Kyron. You know, generally speaking, like the traditional thought is three concussions, three serious concussions, and you should probably call your football career quits from a personal well-being standpoint. So, you know, I don't know if Lane Johnson is going to do that. Um, I, I think when I hear numbers like five or even seven, it's like, it, it just makes my jaw clench. You know what I mean? It's just like that. It's that's brutal for one body to, to, to take. So I understand the tone of the Philadelphia Inquirer. I really do because he's kind of getting to the point where you got to question whether it's worth it or not
3: and you got to wonder how many are undiagnosed with subconcussive hits. And then we see those old older players. Um, you know, I, I think of Daryl Talley being a bills fan. He had, I don't know how many diagnosed official diagnosed concussions he had, but he's, he's doing okay now, but you, he's not all mentally there at times. He doesn't have good days. And then even some of his teammates, I remember Thurman Thomas has talked about how he has sometimes lapses in memory um, you know, Troy Aikman, he kind of looks like he's stone faced face at times on, on broadcast and he doesn't have recollections from a bowl. So a lot of these guys that played through those serious, serious injuries, uh, concussions, you know, we're learning more about how it's more of a serious injury than it used to be. But, um, it's really scary when you see like, okay, how many concussions do those guys really have and go out and play in the same game versus we're seeing now three and five years. And Hey, is that too much for a guy? It's, it's good that the tone has changed in that way. Um, but it's just scary when you do see, Hey, this is what happened 30 years ago and how those guys do now, you obviously have to take a different approach factoring when you're always trumpeting player safety.
0: Yeah, I, I, I do agree. And we'll talk a little, just a little bit more about it when we get to, when we get to two as well. All right. So that should do it for the NFC. Do you want to jump right into the AFC East or that I, that I absolutely for someone?
3: No, no, I think I'm hitting on all the people I want to hit on that I see that are coming out with their injuries. Um, We're going to move to, uh, we'll do the Bills first and then we'll tie it back around to the Dolphins because we'll talking about two a little bit more there. So um, the Bills, they're getting healthier. They beat the Chiefs uh, 24 to 20. The only injury that was notable was their offensive tackle, Spencer Brown, dealing with a uh, right lateral ankle injury. They do have a well-timed bye next week, so he might be able to play against uh, the Packers in week eight, but that remains to be seen depending on the severity. Um, but I also do want to highlight uh, Jordan Hoyer, their safety uh, all pro last year. He had to drive to the game. Now he didn't physically drive somebody. They had a, a Mercedes sprint van drive him from orchard park, New York, all the way out to arrowhead because he had a uh, lung contusion from a cracked rib against the Baltimore Ravens in week four. That was basically the game changing interception that led to them winning. So he had that lung contusion did not play last week. And usually after a lung contusion for a suspected pneumothorax, they advise not to fly for at least two to three weeks after that injury. So uh, big shout out to Jordan Poyer for uh, driving out to the game, even though he could have said, oh, I'll stay at home, but they understood what the, that meant to that. And uh, he had to drive all the way back, and then he'll be cleared to fly in the next uh, week or two here. But they won't be traveling for a few weeks now, though. But um, certainly it's the big news coming out of uh, Kansas City, especially after that story broke after the game.
0: Crazy. Just crazy. And he was impactful in that game too. Absolute, absolute that, monster.
3: He's been looking for a new contract and it's like the things that guys do when he's already had a foot injury, uh, earlier this season, he's had a left hyper extension of his elbow early in training camp. Mm-hmm. The guy is battling through injuries. He's doing everything he can to be ready to play, pay the man, so find, find some <laughs> way to pay the man. He's deserving it there. We were
0: talking about that back when you first came on to, to preview the bills this season.
3: Yes. Yeah. So it's just, um, you know, these guys are playing, they got one shot at getting paid, pay the guy somehow. He's, he's been too valuable, especially with Micah Hyde being out with his, uh, own injury there. Mm -hmm. So, uh, we'll move into the dolphins here next. We got Jalen Waddle. He's doing with a left shoulder injury. Um, there's a chance that it could be an AC joint sprain cause he fell and kind of hit with his elbow uh, first, which kind of jams the um, head of the humerus up and in, which can cause a AC joint sprain. Uh, my buddy, Dr. David Chow had suggested that might be a uh, shoulder subluxation, which is certainly a possibility. Uh, that's basically a partial dislocation of the uh, shoulder and it kind of pops right back in there. Whereas a dislocation is where the joint stays out of the socket there. So um we have to see more information regarding Waddle. He might struggle to get up over top. Um, there might be more laxity in the joint if um, if there is a tearing of the labrum because that does sometimes happen with a sh- shoulder subluxation where the shoulder pops out part of the way, tears a small part of the labrum, and then you don't have that full support in there anymore. So we'll see. I don't. Sometimes the subluxation itself doesn't stop a guy from playing, but if you have repeated subluxations, or does lead to dislocation? Sometimes then guys are out for a little bit as they try to get the uh, rotor cuff strengthened up to help give us support around the area for the lack of the support in the labrum.
0: Gotcha. And uh, having him out there would be a big deal if he can play because we are about to see Tua Tonga back on a football field. Apparently, he's practicing to yeah. potentially be the starter behind a questionable offensive line. So they're going to have to get the ball out quick. I think. To me, this just this this, it reeks of desperation, and it's it's scary to watch. Where I was again, I was talking to Kyron yesterday, and it's just like I don't even want to watch this game. I'm gonna because it's prime time, but I would almost Mm -hmm. rather just not watch it and then go back and watch it when I know nothing awful happens. You know what I mean? I just don't want to. I don't want to see that happen.
3: Yeah, I, I can I definitely agree with you on that. Um, you know, he did pass the concussion protocol that ever ruled him out prior to week six, which was the right method. And by then, he'll be out, I think, three, four weeks, give or take, depending on how you look at the, the calendar. Because uh, he injured in week week four, because that was the first game, and then he'll be returning week seven, which is three weeks, which isn't uncommon. And, and But there's been so much heat around the injury um, and then how they change things. You don't want to hold somebody out that's healthy sometimes you need to protect the player from their own self mm-hmm. in order to make sure that they can you know the player safety there but you also can't say hey if you've passed all the stuff we need you to do we we won't let you play though i think that's to be a big problem with the nfl players association so i think you let them back out there and kind of see where the cards you know lie but like you said with the offensive uh, line position I and mean, I throwing arms to deal with the toe injury since week 1 he wasn't able to play last week. I think his injury is more severe than what they're letting on. Um, Greg Little isn't good. Um, and then there are other Austin Jackson might be coming back and he's been underwhelming. And then they just don't have a great offensive line right now. So um, you're right. They're going to have to get the ball out quickly and make sure that they can move that ball um, around very well. And of course, Scott Thompson's out with a thumb injury. I saw to Teddy Bridgewater came back from his own concussion protocol, which is another discussion we had last week. Um, it, it's not a good situation in Miami. I can, as I'm talking myself through that, there is a sense of desperation because they know what they have on the roster that can compete for playoffs. Um, yeah, it's kind of scary when you see them. It kind of it does have some desperation. It's kind of sad, but that's the business of football too, though.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I understand the idea that the Players Association would be upset about holding guys out, even though they're technically cleared. But I feel like this is kind of, now, it has some mitigating circumstances around it. You know what I mean? I feel like it might be it, it might be tough for the players' association to come down hard on the Dolphins when they're already coming down on them hard for putting him back out there too quickly. You know what I mean? Like, I think yeah. on some level, you're going to have to pick a side, at least in that one situation. You know, I just, I feel like after seeing his body seized up on the field, it's just like, just give it a little extra time, you know? Yeah. Yeah.
3: But when, when there's millions of dollars involved, um, yeah. sometimes they, yeah, it, 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 that's, there's ethics involved with that, but that that's not our place to decide that. Yeah. Um, but still it is, it is certainly worth a conversation. hundred percent. Um, yeah. So and then, uh, wrapping up with the divisions, we get the Russell Wilson dealing with a hamstring injury suffered in the Monday, Monday night game against the chargers, um, the Broncos have not been playing well, and neither has Russell Wilson. He's dealing with the shoulder injury that required a PRP injection, through the lat uh, latissimus dorsi strain. Uh, he now has this hamstring injury that he's been working through. Um, I'm not sure which side it's on, but that could affect his throwing because that's that's the plant leg. Um, if that is the side that you know that's been affected, it's certainly going to affect his scrambling. And with how poorly they've been playing, I mean, I don't think they have they even put up 20 points at all this year. I think it's all been low scoring affairs, right?
0: Um, I would have to check exactly what their record is, but they, look, they haven't played well and they've, they've been close in a couple, nothing that you would call a shootout. And then they've been just no. blown out in a couple too. I could just take a quick here about their specific point totals, but, but uh, keep going.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's just, he hasn't been playing well. I mean, I know there's, there's other dynamics. Uh, Nathaniel Hackett hasn't been uh, the best coach. He's starting to get better with it, but um, they've just been really underwhelming after, all that talk in the preseason about the AFC West beating up on each other and this could be the best division of football. I mean, Chargers haven't been great, Broncos haven't been great. You know, the uh, Chiefs look human now after getting beat by the Bills, and then uh, the Raiders are just god awful this year, even though being you know close in, in a lot of games there. So, um,
0: yeah. well, they did they did clear twenty points once against the Raiders. They scored twenty three <laughs> points. It was still a loss. Oh but, boy! But they have managed to clear that bar.
3: Yeah, it, it, but they've certainly been underwhelming there. No doubt. But it just it is what it is there. So, uh, and then just wrapping up a few other guys that are looking to return soon. We already mentioned two He's going to return in week seven. Um, Dak Prescott, excuse me, Dak Prescott, the Cowboys quarterback, is looking to return here very soon. I know Jerry Jones is always out there playing doctor. Um, <laughs> you know, they, they're always just looking to play through there. Uh, Cooper Rush has played well in his absence, um, but I think I did see he didn't have a good game the other day. So um, Dak is getting close to return. It might just come down to can he grip the football and, and put a good spiral on it and get the accuracy down properly. But um, he's been shown to be a pretty quick healer. And then uh, the Bills, Tredavious White, he's um, expected to return week eight against Green Bay after tearing his ACL in, uh, on Thanksgiving last year. Um I thought he would be coming back a little bit quicker than that, but they've been really slow playing things, knowing that the Bills have been playing so well in his absence. And, you know, if you can get him back for that second half of the season, it's going to be better than trying to get him playing through uh, hamstring or groin or even quad injury, mm-hmm. Trying to come back from an ACL too quickly. So those are a few players looking to come back soon, and they'll be uh, welcome additions to their respective teams.
0: Yeah, well, for sure, for sure. I- I'm curious to see what Tredavious White looks like, and I, I think, you know, You never know who's going to get hurt between now and then, but adding a player like that, who maybe get fully back in the swing of things by the time the playoffs roll around, just makes him that much more dangerous. As far as Dak goes, man, it fits the time. It fits a reasonable timeline, but it's also it also on the conspiracy theorist uh, little side of me. It is rather coincidental that the exact week that Cooper Rush has a bad game and they lose, Dak's expected (laughs) to play next week, and that news came out literally like the day after the game. So, you know, I mean, maybe there's a little something there. And then I think I wanted to ask you Russ Wilson, he did look a little bit better in that first quarter. So, when you're talking about the strain that he has uh, in his Latimus Dorsi, I believe you said it was. So that, yes, that's, yep. that's like, that's what like traditionally is called your lat, right? Like that's yeah. basically what's down underneath for people watching on YouTube. I'm like uh, absentmindedly playing. <laughs> showing you, I guess, but, um, do you think that, that there would have been a pain that was lesser early in the game and he was just, uh, it, it, it flared up, it became aggravated, or do you think he just played through the pain and, eventually got to be too much. Do you think that's that really doesn't have anything to do with exactly the difference between the early and late game play? Because it did seem like there was a difference in how effective he was.
3: Um, that's definitely a multifactorial answer. Um, I did see that his fourth quarter statistics were god-awful. That could have been due to the hamstring. The, the throwing motion of latissimus dorsi and just all the, the musculature up in the arm responsible for throwing he could have been fine. And then as it went on more fatigue set in and, you know, it, he wouldn't necessarily get a pain shot in that area, but things, things could have just been wearing down. I mean, the muscles already injured in that area. And so to ask him to do, you know, throwing over time, the muscles going to get progressively weaker, especially when there's injury involved. So um, that could be with that. Um, you know, that you, if, if, that, if you know that going in, you try to get the offense going quickly, you know, get a bunch of points on the board know that you might peter off in the second half but
0: um i'm sure they would have liked to do th- that that's, <laughs> <I'm not sure. laughs> yeah yeah
3: but they can't we should we know that they can't do that so um no that's a good a good question i don't have a great answer for that because i think there's more to it than just that but mm-hmm. it very well could have been that he was feeling good and then as the game wore on he started to feel the pain and just the restrictions associated with that injury
0: okay gotcha all right uh and anything else that you wanted to throw in there before we say goodbye for this week
3: no, I think that's it there. I think we covered all the major injuries. I'm sure there's always a few that I'm missing, but um, I try to hide the bigger ones, the, you know, the division leaders and, you know, the ones that, that show up on, you know, the, the Twitter and ESPN and things like that.
0: For sure. All right, Kyle, thank you so, so much again. And please let everybody know where they can find all of your work, especially some of your bills related content between now and next week.
3: All right. So you can find me on um, Twitter, Facebook, instagram reddit at banged up bills you can find my work over at banged up bills.com. cover one buffalo rumblings you can find my weekly uh podcast segments obviously here uh on on bills on fridays and then uh buffalo late night on monday nights so um everywhere and anywhere that you want to find uh bills and nfl injury information
0: all right beautiful we will see you next week All right, we are back with Max Chadwick from PFF, and we are here to talk about one of the wildest weeks of college football that I remember being around, although that might not be sandwich. But uh, but seriously, that was crazy, man. How are you doing today?
4: I'm good. I mean, if you could tell, my, my voice is a little shot. I don't think it's from College Football Saturday, uh, <laughs> but I was yelling a lot on College Football Saturday because it was, like you mentioned, it was the best weekend of the season so far, which is, you know, we still have half the season left, so I'm so excited. But, man, this, this weekend was awesome.
0: All right, look. Let's not bury the lead. We got to talk about it. Tennessee wins in overtime over Alabama. I actually did watch the end of this game live. Yeah. If you can believe it.
4: Yeah. It actually so ended in in regulation still. The last play that it oh, felt yeah. like overtime. Oh, that's, th- right, that's, right, that's right, that's right. That's right. It
0: was it was it was as time expired. That's right, that's right, that's right. Right. To, to I was praying,
4: I was praying for overtime cuz I did not want that game to end. Uh yeah, that game well, that's the game of the year. And, uh, it, I would be shocked if any other game beats it out. Again, we have half the season left, so I'm, I'm super pumped, but my God, that was the game. you know, we went into it, you know, we last week we previewed this game and uh, that was the game I said you have to tune into and it lived up to it, man. I mean Hendon Hooker, Bryce Young, they put on a freaking show in that game. 52 to 49 was the final score of that game. Uh, Tennessee's offense. Alabama had one of the best defenses in the country in my opinion, heading into that week. And Tennessee's offense just ran right through them. I mean, they they really faced no resistance from Alabama. Uh, Jalen Hyatt, the Tennessee receiver, had five receiving touchdowns in that game. Two hundred seven yards. He only had six catches, so he averaged. You know, he had five touchdowns on six catches. He had two hundred seven yards, nearly like forty yards a catch. He averaged. I mean, Jalen Hyatt went off against Alabama. <laughs> All five of Hendon Hooker's touchdowns were at Jalen Hyatt. Um, yeah that game was was fantastic and now a lot of people are putting Hendon Hooker up there with CJ Stroud for the Heisman right now
0: what what uh what year is he is he a sophomore Jalen Hyatt I no, believe Hennon he Hook- is oh uh, Hendon is old Hendon Hooker is actually
4: older than Justin Herbert so he's a fifth year senior what um yeah he's at, he's older than Justin Herbert Jalen Hyatt's a junior uh but yeah Hendon Hooker is Richard senior he transferred from virginia tech to tennessee mm-hmm. a couple years ago um yeah he's old that's so that's like the biggest thing i'm sure you and nick um and everyone else can get into it during the draft but like a lot of people are kind of crowning hendon hooker as qb3 right now And it's like you got to remember like this guy is older than justin herbert and justin herbert is gonna get a massive second contract this summer and hendon hooker will just be entering the league so age is uh definitely question mark with him but he has been absolutely outstanding so far
0: yeah, I, that's a that's such an interesting conversation. It's not really the time or place for it because we're really focusing on the college aspect. But right, I didn't realize he was so old. I mean, I had heard buzz around him a little bit just this season, and I figured since nobody was talking about him in draft circles, it was just because he was an underclassman. Because you know, I don't follow mm-hmm. it that close until we actually get to draft season. I didn't realize he'd come down from Virginia Tech. Wow, that's that's wild. Yeah. Okay. So he'll
4: turn he'll turn twenty five in January, so he he is
0: older. That is crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, man. Okay. Um. So, what do you think, man? Does that does that put Tennessee in the top four for you? I mean, I feel like it almost it almost has to. How high in the top four? What What are you thinking?
4: I mean, if you're going just purely off what we've seen so far this year, I mean, I I, I had them. I my latest PFF rankings will drop tomorrow. Uh, I have Tennessee at number three right now, um, behind Ohio State and Georgia. But if you're if you know if if you're a person who says I only care about resume. I don't care about how good you think a team is. Then Tennessee is the number one team in the country. Like they, they have the best resume in college football right now. They've beaten four teams that were ranked in the top 25. No other team has done that. Uh, they beat number three, Alabama, which was a massive, massive win. Um, again, I wouldn't put them at number two or number one, because I do think Ohio state and Georgia are like the, the best teams. I think they're better teams than Tennessee, but like in terms of what they've proven on the field, neither of them have proven as much as Tennessee has so far.
0: Yeah. Wow. All right, man. I can't, I would love to see Tennessee get into the final four. That would be oh awesome. I'm I'm look, as, I'm torn because as much as I love seeing those classic blue blood programs duke it out in the playoffs, you got to mix it up a little bit. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, seeing Cincinnati get in was really fun last year. Tennessee, I mean, it's an SEC team, so it's, it's not quite the Tennessee same as can Cincinnati. Hang. But, uh, but Tennessee still. proved
4: they can hang, yeah. Cincinnati exactly. might not be able to hang. Tennessee can hang. And it's crazy to mm-hmm. me that, you know, before the season two months ago, they were unranked. Like, they started the year unranked. And now they're the number three team in the country just six games in. Like, that's how insane this run has been for Tennessee. There's a Cinderella story right now in college football.
0: Yeah, that's cool. That's pretty wild. So we had a whole bunch of games, though. Let's not get totally lost on that. Uh, we had how many ranked matchups? Six, Six. you said? Yeah. Six. So what else did we have? They,
4: they all lived up to the hype besides one. Uh, and that one, unfortunately, was my favorite team, Penn State, getting absolutely shellacked <laughs> by Michigan. That game was not even close. Yeah. Uh, they lost 41-17. to Michigan proved a lot in that game, in my opinion. But other than that, number seven, USC Falls. That was a huge game at night. Utah pulled out the victory. Um, Utah scored what would have been the game-tying touchdown, except for the fact they went for two at the end of the game, and they got it. Cameron Rising scored the game-winning touchdown. He then ran it in himself, uh, the quarterback for Utah, so they won 43-42. That game was awesome. A game that was underrated because it kicked off at the same time as Tennessee-Bama was number eight Oklahoma State at number 13 TCU, and you can make the argument I probably wouldn't, but you can make the argument it was a better game than Tennessee-Alabama. Like I was having a, a whale of a time trying to flip back and forth between those two games. Because that game went to double overtime. TCU was down by 14 with 10 minutes left. They tied it up. They went to double OT. Then they beat Oklahoma State in double overtime. And now TCU is a top 10 team in the country in the last remaining Big 12 team. Uh, Syracuse beat NC State. Um, so Syracuse is still undefeated. Uh, they, you know, I, I, I don't. I went to Syracuse. I, I'm not sure how much I believe in them just yet. They've kind of get, been getting very lucky. NC State was on their backup quarterback because their starter, Devin Leary, is out for the season. Um, and then Kentucky beat Mississippi state in the other ranked game too. So that was uh, those were the ranked matchups this week. It was a pretty fantastic week for college football.
0: Yeah. So my buddy Reagan, he's an uh, Oak state guy and he was Ooh. losing his mind, oh, mind sure. on Saturday. <laughs> it's funny watching my friends, like, you know, just at the Twitter feed, just, just slowly deteriorate over the course of a game, man. And he is also yeah. a Jags fan. So he got, he oh. got, he got it one too. So he got, you know, Obviously, this one, and then a loss to the Colts divisionally. Oh, feel right. bad for him. But, like, I'm flying high right now. My my team is finally good. I know the Jets look, yeah. oh, anyway. look good. Yeah, Jets <laughs> look good. I guess I'll find a way to slide that in anywhere in podcast. And spend that long. <laughs> you should make it last Somehow, as long as you can. <laughs> um, all right. So, look, you know, you, you talked about, about the Hennen hooker and, and how some people are putting him up there in the Heisman voting. I mean, how, you sounded a little bit hesitant about that. What are you looking at for your Heisman rankings right now? I mean, is there, do you think he really has any shot or are you really? Because, oh, yeah, for sure. I think he's got a real
4: shot. I, I think if Tennessee, you know, the big one now, they got Georgia in a couple of weeks. That's huge. If they beat Georgia, he's winning the Heisman. Like, you could lock it up basically because, I mean, he's probably going to play Alabama again in the SEC Championship game, but. Uh, He's going to be he's up there for sure. However, I would not give the Heisman Trophy to Hendon Hooker or to C.J. Stroud. And that's, you know, a take that a lot of people. I actually posted my midseason All-American team. I have my midseason awards coming out this week, too, on PFF.com. A lot of people are not happy with me right now. Bryce Young is still (laughs) the best player in college football, and he proved that on Saturday. Uh, He's the highest graded quarterback in the country. I know it sounds weird when Hendon Hooker beats Bryce Young, and I'm still saying Bryce Young's the Heisman winner. I still think he's the best player in college football. Uh, I had some insane stats that I, I, I found from PFF I wanted to throw out there. So 58% of Bryce Young's throws were to a receiver who was a step or more of separation. So basically an open receiver. Hendon Hooker, 71% compared to 58%. C.J. Stroud, 87% of his throws were to a receiver who was classified as basically open. Then you go to first read throws. 44% for Bryce Young were to first read. Uh, Hendon Hooker, 61%. CJ Stroud, 73%. Bryce Young is by himself in that Alabama offense. Meanwhile, Hendon Hooker has Josh Hypel, one of the best offensive minds in the sport, scheming open throws for him. CJ Stroud also, Ryan Day scheming open throws for him, and also has the best receiving core in college football with a Mecca Buka, Marvin Harrison Jr., Jackson Smith and Jiggle coming back from injury, Julian Fleming. Like CJ Stroud and Hendon Hooker are both receiving way more health than Bryce Young, and yet Bryce Young is still putting up numbers similar to them. So to my eyes, he is the best player in college football. I don't think any other quarterback has as much pressure on them as Bryce Young, and he's lived up to it. I think he's been the best player in the country. So I would give the Heisman Trophy to Bryce Young, which is insane to say for a lot of people because he just lost, and it's a very narrative-based award. But if you're really giving it to the most outstanding player, that is Bryce Young to me without a doubt.
0: Yeah, well, it is narrative-based, isn't it? And that's kind of what I was going to say. I think that is going to give him a lot of points when you're looking at the draft because the fact that he can throw to, like, in quotes, covered receivers, that's what it's going to be like at the NFL level, right? And so scouts are going to be happy about that. They're going to like that. They're going to like that he can hit those tight windows. But I think, you know, if you're talking about a Heisman campaign, a lot of times, like we've talked about before, they really don't like to give it to the same person multiple years in a row they just they like the turnover um they like the new fresh storyline and look i mean cj stroud with this the crazy offense is an easy one but then like you said i mean if a team like tennessee is really going to go undefeated in a season and makes it to the national uh not maybe not the championship game but at least makes it to the to the playoff it's gonna i think i think they're going to be running to the podium with that one
4: Oh, so do I. And I think of something that people should keep in mind, though. This might not be the last time Tennessee plays Bama. Like, they they probably will get them in the SEC title game. And then at that rate, it might really come down to Bryce Young versus Hendon Hooker, winner take all for the Heisman Trophy in the SEC title game. So I, I definitely don't think Bryce Young's out of it. Everyone is taking him off the list completely after that. But again, I think he's the best player in the college football. I don't care he won it last year. If he's the best player again, you give it to him again. That's how I think. Um, But yeah, voter fatigue is definitely a real thing. I mean, they're going to look for every reason not to give him the award this year. So that's why he's like sixth in odds right now. And
0: I think he's clearly the best player in the country. Yeah. Wow. Cool. So. All right. So let's take a look now. Now, as we're about, I don't know, maybe like halfway ish through the, the college football season. Who do you think are legitimate, can- this is a little bit, this is not a, the same question I've been asking you regularly, but who do you mm. think are the real competitors for each of the Power 5 conferences? Like one or two teams that you think are legitimate, you know, legitimate contenders to take the conference championship and then you can throw, the- I mean, I think at this point we don't have to talk about the final four. We kind of already know who the top four or five that are probably going to get in are. So I just want to, yeah. you know, step back and look at the conferences individually a little bit.
4: Yeah, for sure. So I, I think, you know, you look at the, the Power Five conferences, I think you start with the SEC. I still think Georgia is probably the favorite in that conference. Uh, I think Tennessee's got a really good shot as well. But, I mean, I think Bama is still up there. You know, everyone's kind of writing them off and, and you know, forgetting about them. Like, they're going to win that SEC West, and they're going to meet either Georgia or Tennessee in the title game. And I, I don't know. I, I still think Bama's got a really good shot in that conference. So I would not count out those teams. But I think really it's down to those three teams in that, Uh, You know, Georgia, Bama, Tennessee, Ole Miss, maybe if Ole Miss can still make this run. I don't know how if they can or not, but I've been really impressed by Ole Miss so far uh, in there. So Big Ten uh, is going to be a playoff game in the final game of the year between Ohio State and Michigan. I think that's what happened last year. Um, A pseudo playoff game. Basically, winner goes to the playoff. I think it's going to happen again this year because they seem to be two teams destined to be 11 and 0 at the end of the season, playing each other in the final game of the year. Uh, But Illinois is right now, I think, the best team in the Big Ten West. And I think they're going to win that division. Um, And they're currently ranked number uh, 18 in the AP poll right now. So keep an eye on the Illini. But I really think that conference comes down to either Ohio State or Michigan. Uh, TCU is the only undefeated team left in the Big 12. However, I think Texas is still that team right now. I think Texas might be a better team. Then uh, TCU, TCU's got the record, but I think Texas is the best team with that explosive offense with Quinn Ewers, Bijan John Robinson, uh, Xavier Worthy, and everyone else there. So I think Texas will still win the Big 12, but TCU with their undefeated record might have the inside track right now. Uh, ACC, I will be floored if it's not Clemson at this, point, at this point. I know Syracuse is undefeated. They actually play each other this week, the final two undefeated teams in the ACC. Uh, Clemson and Syracuse. I think that's the time when Syracuse might be exposed a little bit. Um, but yeah, I think Clemson is, far and away the best ACC team. And then finally, the Pac-12 conference, um, that's kind of wide open right now. And, and you know, I I, I want to say USC is still in it. Uh, UCLA is undefeated at this point. Oregon's still a top 10 team in the country. UCLA actually plays Oregon this week, and that's probably the biggest game of the week uh, between two top 10 teams there. But I think USC is is still up there as well. So I like USC, but I think you gotta go, you know, UCLA, Oregon, USC, Utah. That's it's pretty even between those four teams for the Pac twelve. So pretty wide open Pac twelve this year.
0: Okay. So you commented on that's a pretty big matchup between between Syracuse and Clemson. What are the other big matchups that we have this upcoming week?
4: Yes, so we have we still have five ranked games this week, which is insane that we just keep you know rattling these off because like I mentioned, you know we only had five ranked games only a couple times in the last five years, and now we're just rattling off week by week, which is awesome. Uh, Syracuse Clemson is a big one. Um, Some other ones: UCLA, Oregon. I mentioned that one. Texas Oklahoma State is a huge huge game in the Big Twelve. Number twenty Texas at number eleven Oklahoma State. Uh, Bama is playing Mississippi State, number twenty four in the country. I think Alabama is going to wipe the floor with them. I think they're going to be very angry and pissed off after that loss to Tennessee. That's going to be ugly for the Bulldogs. So I don't, I don't know about that game. And then TCU plays Kansas state TCU you know, he's starting to go through the ringer in the big 12. They just beat Kansas. They just beat Oklahoma state. Now they got Kansas state. They got Texas on deck in a few weeks as well. I think that's, you know, TCU is going to start proving, you know, whether or not it can really hang with everyone else, a sleeper game. I want to throw out there too, even though I don't think the good of a team, Ohio State's going to have their biggest test of the season in terms of their offense because oh, Iowa has arguably a top two or three defense in college football. Now, does Iowa have the offense to even compete in this game? No. Ohio State's probably going to still win by 30, but I'm very interested in seeing how well the Ohio State offense does against Iowa's defense, even though I think Ohio State will still run away with that game.
0: Okay. Interesting. All right. I think, you know, at this point, like I said before, we've already kind of talked ourselves out on the top four, right? We can revisit it maybe next week if we feel like there's a major shakeup. But uh, I, I mean, so look, we've we got Tennessee, we've got Georgia, we've got Alabama, we've got Clemson, Ohio State, and that's, that's what, that's pretty much it, right? Is there anybody else? Yeah, like Mich-
4: Michigan, probably I'll throw in there too, but yeah.
0: Do you think they have a real shot to get in? Yeah,
4: I think they do. I, I think they can they can give Ohio State a serious run. I think Michigan's offense, their running game is spectacular. Uh, like, I don't know if anyone can stop that running game. Um, and that defense for Michigan is very stingy, too. So, like, that's going to be another close game. And I think they have a shot against Ohio State. And if they beat Ohio State, they're making the playoff because I think they'll beat Illinois in a Big Ten title game. So, yeah, I would, I would certainly throw Michigan in there. So, I would say, yeah, it's probably top six that, you know, will probably make the playoff at this rate.
0: I can't wait for this offseason to sit down and watch multiple running back tape it like multiple running backs in a row with it because this is going to be a good year for it. I Oh, my God. uh, Yeah. If you can get I talked about this and I don't want to repeat myself too much, but uh, but I feel like I feel like sometimes I just want to have the same conversation with different people. But I know Mm -hmm. that people are listening to this or hearing the same conversation. (laughs) But but I I love a draft that has a good number of running backs in it because it just adds a lot to day two. Yeah, you know, that second and third round, those are legit starters. And you don't really get that at, at almost any other position. Mm-hmm. And so like, it just adds a little bit of tension to the draft when you got those guys still sitting on the board. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. are you going to get a guard who's going to be a backup, maybe a starter? Or are you going to get, uh, you know, are you going to get a, a slot wide receiver who might start? Mm-hmm. Maybe not like, or are you going to get a juiced up running back who, you know, could win rookie of the year legitimately. So, right. Right. So, All right, Max, I appreciate you so much. We will be back next week to break down another big time week of college football. Five ranked matchups between now and then let everybody know where they can find your work.
4: Yes. So I've been writing a ton of articles for PFF, about one a day at this rate. So you can find it at PFF.com. I just dropped my midseason All-American team. Um, I got my midseason awards article coming out soon, which that'll be very, very fun. Um, and yeah, and you can follow me on Twitter at Chad underscore Maxwick and TikTok at Chad underscore Maxwick as well.
0: All right, beautiful. We will see you again next week.
4: Awesome. Thanks, Max.
0: Hey, uh, why don't you come over and we can, you know, decide whether to start or sit at him feeling? All right, we're back with Matthew Brown to talk about some fantasy football. This is the fantasy fallout of NFL Week 7, and he is going to tell you how to avoid the fallout of Week 7. So, how are you doing today, it's, Matt? It's
5: a, oh, <laughs> I'm doing great uh, uh, in terms of fantasy football. I actually had, I won in both my leagues in fantasy football. This is not <laughs> something that has happened a lot. <laughs> I've been doing horrible. <laughs>
0: That's uh, so, it did, the, did the Taysom the, Hill finally came and saved the day, huh?
5: Here's the thing, though. Um, like, it, it it, was, well, first of all, it was Jamar Chase in one of my leagues. Um, and then the other league, in both leagues, actually, I was playing the person that had Melvin Gordon. And uh, <laughs> going into Monday night, I was like, wow, is Melvin Gordon going to, you know, outscore me? That would be that would be terrible. And then I just got to watch him look sad on the bench and me going, well, guess I don't have to worry about that.
0: <laughs> yeah. I don't know what that's about. We literally just talked about it in the news today uh, about how we only got three carries. I, I, I'm not sure what's going on with Denver. It just seems like dysfunction on all levels. And uh, I don't know. I really don't. I know
5: people say they don't like watching them prime time. I love watching them prime time because there's always something <laughs> you go, what in the world is oh, happening? Uh,
0: I think we just lost audio. Oh, it's my headphones. Yep. Yeah. Hold on. Just this. St- yeah, no worries. Did my... I can still hear you. That was so weird. Okay, <laughs> so I guess I'll probably just, you know, cut that out, but... <laughs> yeah, no worries. My, my headphones just disconnected Bluetooth. You started coming out of my computer speaker, and then you just popped back to, up to here. So I, I didn't even do anything. <laughs> I honestly... I, I, Okay. It's been a weird technology.
5: We had a power surge at the bank today and it shut down our computers. It's like, oh, this is great.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so it's just
5: been a weird technology week. Ominous. Anyway.
0: Um anyway, uh you were saying that you love to watch the Broncos on primetime, which I it must be storyline driven because they are not playing good football. Oh,
5: it's just there's there's just always something really hilarious that Nathaniel Hackett decides to do. And he's one of those coaches that I know he's not meaning this, but every time that he, it cuts to him, it just looks like he has no idea what he's doing. It's like Mike McCarthy. Mike McCarthy, I think is a fine coach, but every time the camera cuts them he just looks lost. <laughs> and, and so it, it just, it just is a comedy of errors and I, I like it.
0: Yeah. There's a very, and as a Green Bay fan, you're probably not as used to the, well, for Mike McCarthy, I guess but like there is just there is a certain look when nothing is going right for an NFL coach that they have it is a signature look it is it, it it's a look that says everything from i'm probably going to lose my job to how am i going to face the team after this in the locker room to national tv is cameras are pointing at me right now and like i don't know what to do I don't know what to say i don't know how to stand like i don't know what to do with my hands like it is it, it's, it's it's brutal to be live on television for hours, when you you know that everyone's looking at you and you just can't do anything but just finish the game badly. You know yeah. what I mean? It's yeah, it's tough. It's really tough. Um, okay, so look, aside from aside from uh, Melvin Gordon winning you your your weekend, what fantasy news do you have for us today? Where, where are we going with this upcoming week?
5: Well, this is probably a very difficult week for a lot of teams because uh, this is a, a horrible bye week. Bills, Vikings, Eagles, and Rams are all on a bye week this week. So, I mean, you're talking no Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, Gabe Davis, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, Dalvin Cook, any uh, Jalen Hurts, uh, Devontae Smith, and A.J. Brown. Cooper Cup is off probably the only Ram that you're starting. Um, so, I mean, it's these are a lot of first round picks that are out. Um, I saw, I saw uh, online today, there was someone who, it was one person in their lineup from last week was not on a buy. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of people where this is happening. But I do think, I actually had a better, an easier time this week coming up with players to start than I did last week. And I want to start with um, Kenneth Walker, uh, the running back out of uh, Seattle. Uh, they play the Los Angeles Chargers this week. Um, the Chargers made Latavius Murray look actually serviceable as a running back. And I'm uh, not sure that's really uh, w- w- what, what you want to be doing as a defense. Um, mm-hmm. The Seattle offense, I feel like no one's talking about how good the Seattle offense has looked because Seattle's defense gives up a ton of points but back to back weeks, they've put up a lot of points and are one and one. I mean, they're three and three on the season. Geno Smith, who would have thought is looking great. And with Rashad Penny now out, Kenneth Walker has taken over the running back duties. I-, I like him this week against the chargers.
0: Yeah, I do too. I mean, he was injured for a while to start the season. It seemed like his first game back, he broke off a big run once, once Penny went out and had another good game. So I think, you know he's got some fresh legs. He was a high draft pick. They're invested in seeing him perform. So, um, and, and I'm sorry. Who are the Car- the Seahawks playing again this week? Just want to double check that real quick. Oh, the Chargers. Chargers. You just- no, yeah, yeah, Chargers. yeah, yeah, yeah. And and their defense has been seriously underwhelming. And we touched on that in in the uh, Monday Night Football recap stream that we did. I mean, for all the defenders that they have, they should be playing much much better. But it's a short week things aren't going well and the Seahawks are hot. So I I'm all for playing the the young star player or young potential star player on a hot offense
5: 100%. Yeah, I think the, the opportunity is just going to be there. Um the you you also maybe with this bye week again, you're looking at your lineup going, "Oh gosh, I got to find another quarterback because again, you know Josh Allen, no Jalen Hurts, No Stafford, no Kirk Cousins. Uh, Maybe the latter two are not as heavy of starts, but probably if you had Jalen Hurts or Josh Allen, that was your starting quarterback, and now you're like, oh, shoot, I gotta go find someone. Um, I'm gonna throw out Marcus Mariota in that. And again, cannot believe that I'm saying this, but this is the wildest fantasy season. Last week, so the, the Falcons play the Bengals this week. Last week, the Bengals gave up a total of 228 rushing yards to the Saints. So that was 99 to Kamara, Uh, 46 to Ingram, 44 to Rashid Shaheed, the person that nobody knew about, and 39 to Taysom Hill. And what do the Falcons love to do? Well, gosh, they love to run the ball. Um, And even with uh, Cordero Cordero Patterson going out, um, Marcus Mariota has kind of taken over a big part of that running game. So like last week against the 49ers, his passing stats he only threw for 129 yards now granted two of those were touchdowns but he ran six times for 50 yards and a touchdown so if you're looking for especially if you're a Jalen Hurts fantasy owner who a big part of the reason why Jalen Hurts has been so valuable is his rushing TDs Bengals defense has been giving up a high amount of rushing yards Falcons are going to run the ball Marcus Mariota is probably going to end up running the ball at least six to 10 times plus passing in a handful of times for a spot start. Not saying I want Marcus Mariota to take over my duties for the rest of the year, but if you just need him to fill in for week seven, I like Marcus Mariota.
0: Yeah, it's a good matchup for him. No doubt about it. And I think they have been leaning on him more with Quidrell Patterson being out. And it's, it's a big thing that he brings to the table. I don't think that he has a long-term future, but if that's your guy, might as well use his skill set to the fullest of its availability so they're gonna probably run him quite a bit especially on short yardage and goal line type stuff and um, look if you're scoring three touchdowns doesn't really matter how you score them right like that those are quality fantasy points so I think he's definitely a good play if necessary. I think once you get past the first few weeks of the season where there's no buys um, and you really get to the point where you have you have to deal with injuries and you have to deal with buys, that's really when your skill as a fantasy player really comes out. Because, you know, the draft is the draft. Like you said, first-round picks are pretty much unanimous across the board. Yeah, like, it might have turned out better if you picked Dalvin Cook over whatever other running Najee back. Najee Harris. Yeah, like, like, yeah. <laughs> like I did. <laughs> <laughs> so So, I mean, like, you know, you would have benefited some from that, but I think there's a lot of games where you're trying to find guys, you're trying to decide genuinely who to start or sit at this point you're just trying to find the guys on the waiver wire and put together those trade packages so I am curious to see how it goes and and uh, I think that's definitely good play probably available in most leagues
5: yeah I mean I I don't think you're gonna have a difficulty getting Marcus Mariota off of waiver he's probably on waivers if he is on a team maybe you can swing a deal for not a lot he's not going to be hard to get um, and then the other team just in general that I want to mention, you know, Dak Prescott is probably going to be back for, uh, this Sunday's game. I have not heard an official word, but every report has, that has come out has been like, he's going to practice this week and everything's going to be fine. And after Cooper Rush's performance on, on Sunday night, which was not horrendous, but definitely showed like, okay, yeah, Cooper rush is a backup. Um, mm-hmm. they come in playing the lions this week. And so I know the Lions are off a bye, and that's given them a little bit more time to prepare. But the Lions' defense has also not been very, very good. And if you put Dak Prescott back in there, players like CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup, and even I would say by extension, Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott, their value goes up because Dak Prescott is back at quarterback. And I Honestly, all of those players have had decent fantasy value, really outside of Michael Gallup, who was just kind of getting back into the swing of things after his ACL injury. CeeDee Lamb has been having a solid season. Nothing like, you know, jump off the page. Oh, my gosh, he's, he's, he's going off. But you're talking he's getting five to eight catches for 50 to 80 yards and, you know, grabbing a touchdown here and there. Ezekiel Elliott isn't a bell cow running back. But also, I have him on uh, as one of my flex options on one of my teams, and honestly, he's been the most consistent player on my team, getting you know ten to twenty, somewhere in the ten to twenty points range every week. Um, mm-hmm. Tony Pollard has is, is has done really really well, especially with big chunk runs, scoring touchdowns. So I, I think with Dak Prescott back, the fantasy value of the Cowboys goes up, and their next three games are Detroit, Chicago, Green Bay, which are very very good fantasy matchups.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, I I think you want to put anybody out there versus the lions. I'll take them pretty much. You know, just that, that should be the first thing you look at who's playing against the lions this week. They're getting a start. Oh yeah. And you're the rotational guy. You're getting a start because you're probably going to have the best game of the year. So yeah, I, uh, I, I think so. And look, Dak is probably a guy who's been tabled on rosters for a while. So I, you know, I don't, I don't think he's necessarily available, but if he is your guy and you're a little concerned about him starting because he's coming off an injury, probably don't have to worry that much. Probably going to have a pretty good game to be honest.
5: Yeah. Um, a couple of just kind of notes on maybe some, uh, uh, some sits. Um, the jets play the Broncos this week. I love Brees Hall. I mean, I hate as a Packers fan what he did last week, but I love as a fantasy expert what he did last week. Ooh, it was great. Um, But he's playing the Broncos this week. While the Broncos' offense is a a train wreck, the defense is solid. And uh, so I think I would just temper expectations for Brees Hall this week. I I, I, I think he's going to have problems uh, uh, getting a higher volume of... Touches, or I shouldn't say necessarily higher volume of touches, but I I, I just don't think he's going to have as much running room because I think the Denver front seven is much better than what a Green Bay front seven is, which I can't believe I'm saying that, but um, <laughs> as a Packers fan. Um, so I'm just a little more just being cautious of him, even though I'm all in on Brees Hall later. And then, you know, with all the injuries that the 49ers have had, they're playing the Chiefs this week. And so, you know, if the 49ers were healthy, I'd be kind of like, ooh, careful of the Chiefs' offense this week outside of Patrick Mahomes because I think Patrick Mahomes is going to put up stats no matter what. But with how many injuries the 49ers have on defense, like to significant players – there's a chance that the 49ers just steamroll them. And so that's a matchup that I don't quite know what to do with because there's, on one hand, I'm like, they're playing the 49ers, it's in San Francisco, be careful, that defense is well coached. And then on the flip side, I'm going, all their players are injured, start everyone because Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid are going to cook something up that's just going to cook these backups.
0: Yeah, 100%. I mean, look, the Chiefs, they're coming off a loss to the Bills. They're not going to wallow in it. They're going to come back and punch the first person who steps in front of them hard and that's going to be the San Francisco 49ers who are like you said quite banged up on the defensive side of the ball so I would I would be happy to start chief starters and I do I I agree with you I think the Jets have every opportunity to win the game against the Broncos I I think the Jets defense after what they did to Aaron Rodgers is probably going to make Russell Wilson just about cry and Nathaniel Hackett is going to have that face all games so, uh, so oh, uh, yeah. Like, oh, but, yeah but at the same time their defense has been playing very well and they might do enough to get it done but if you have another option at running back maybe this is the week to, to set Brees hall down you know or like to, to let him sit if not you know play him because you never know but if you have another option he's probably the more risky of of whatever you got so I, I think the you.
5: trick this week is that so many people are are in a position where you kind of have to start someone that you're not wild about the matchup. Mm-hmm. And and listen, that happens like where y- your team is. That's what it is. And in, in fantasy, sometimes you have the weeks where you're just like, well, hope this works. And and it could work. I mean, Brees Hall could get 40 yards rushing, but have two touchdowns yeah. because of, you know, the Jets get, you know, get on the two yard line and he runs it in um it it, it, there's things like that in fantasy can happen where a player doesn't necessarily have a great game but scores once or gets a two-point conversion or or something wild happens that they just they're they're able to get some residual points that at least gets to a floor of acceptable nature i mean really as a fantasy manager you just don't want your players laying eggs where it's like oh you got me two points gee thanks (laughs) if they can score you 10 to 15 points okay that's not necessarily going to win you your matchup but it's also not going to lose you your matchup
0: yeah well last week against the packers there was a play where he was supposed to basically hand the ball off on a i think it was a direct snap to him he was supposed to hand the ball off to garrett wilson coming on the end around and um he basically saw that the play was going to get blown up so he just freewheeled and just kept the ball and just ran up the middle. And so, like, you know, it, that's a play where it's like by all by all normal means, it should have been a play for no gain or even potentially a loss. But it ended up being a monster play. And so, you know, that always can happen as well. Any anytime, any time, any any time you have an explosive player like Brees Hall, he can go off. I mean, he's on pace for like 1700 total yards this season right now so I, yeah. you know I, I i wouldn't i wouldn't be too upset if you do have to start him
5: yeah yeah it's i i think this week last week i was like oh man there's just a lot of weird matchups this week i, I think there's some really favorable matchups that that you can find some really nice fantasy value um you know i i i I think that the bye weeks are rough, but I still think that there's enough good matchups out there in terms of fantasy that you can find players to start. And, and even, I think one of the things we have to be careful with, especially as fantasy ma- managers, is like the Jaguars are, are in a free fall right now in terms of what the team is doing, but there's some positive things on their fantasy output. Their, um, their running backs are actually doing very, very well and and so from a fantasy perspective i think you know we we can we can get this block and i was like oh i don't want to start any jaguars they're not doing great trevor lawrence had three total tds last week the running backs are looking better christian kirk is still getting a good amount of of volume so we so just because a team is performing poorly as as a team on the field does not mean that there's not good fantasy options out there
0: right yeah absolutely i agree with you um i think this is, is a weird year for NFL offenses. It's a weird year for the level of parity. And, you you know, it's like you can't just pick an offense and pick a good – any one of their starters is a good player for you. Like, you really, you do have to cherry pick. But do you have anybody else for us today or any other fantasy thoughts before we wrap this up and and call it a week and then come find out how we did next week?
5: I am very curious – to see what my Packers do against the commanders because I think so many people had Packers players, especially running backs and AJ Dillon is not look like what he did last year. And I'm pretty sure that Aaron Jones, like ate Matt LaFleur's lunch that he had his name clearly written on from the team fridge and Matt LaFleur is just like holding a grudge against him because he just doesn't, put him in for correct, like for plays where you go, oh, swing past the running back. Oh, it's A.J. Dillon. A.J. <laughs> Dillon's great. I love A.J. Dillon. Aaron Jones is the better pass catching back is the more explosive back. It's it's mind boggling to me. And so, you know, last week I, I heard all about how they're going to get Aaron Jones the ball more and then he didn't. And this week all I'm hearing is about how we need to get Aaron Jones the ball more. And so I'm hoping at some point the all the talk transitions into, like, actual output on the field. And, I mean, the commanders are the team to do it against. So um, I I do think that especially if you're really looking for a start, the Packers are an outside, no matter how bad their offenses look, they're an outside start this week because of the matchup. But I, I don't feel good about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, I feel you. Uh, I... The, the offense is just lacking in too many places. The offensive line isn't good. Rodgers is banged up and the wide receivers are just not enough. So if you can play man coverage consistently against the wide receivers, like the Jets did, like other teams have been able to do, that gives you extra men to put in the box. You know what I mean? So you can stop the run better. The offensive line isn't, like, manhandling people like they have done. You know, they make you kind of one-dimensional. So it, it there's a whole bunch of things that are going into it. And I think, you know, Aaron Jones is a player who's always going to play a little bit better with space. A.J. Dillon's a guy who probably handle the defensive line in his face a little bit better, you know, because of his size. So I think there there is a logic to it, but I think the offense is just having a hard time. But if there is a team that you can get right against it sure is Washington commander so you betcha all right well that'll do it for us tonight Matt thank you so much for coming on I appreciate it why don't you let everybody know where they can find your fantasy work and all of your Twitter shenanigans
5: oh yes uh, you can find me at sorcerer Matt uh, I I will uh, speak uh, sparingly tweet throughout games. Sometimes I get so focused <laughs> on like watching and I'm like, ah, I forgot to do it. Ah, oh, well, who cares? But, uh, um, you know, uh, about all kinds of stuff. You know, maybe I'll throw in a Disney theme park take there because that's another one of my interests. <laughs> but uh, yeah, definitely follow me on there. Um, you'll kind of see everything that I'm involved in there. Obviously, Gridiron Heroics, Wisconsin Sports Heroics. And, uh, you know, I- I just, I'm just a free spirit that you never know where you might see me pop up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's true Matt. you are you are a renaissance man no doubt Look, i i'm actually a big marvel fan so one of these days we'll have to talk marvel um oh, yes. i don't know i don't know maybe maybe some of those conversations will start to take place once the season is over and we don't really have fantasy to talk about oh so, i'll I have to bring you on my 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 disney
5: my disney pod that we talk marvel stuff like this oh oh man here we go okay
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah dude anytime i i'm i'm i love it but that that you you can probably take the place of like the off season filler content where we just talk about all kinds of random stuff. So, we're we're, uh, we're workshopping on air. But uh, <laughs> all right, Matt, thanks again. Yeah, and we'll thanks, see you Max. soon. <laughs> Gamblers, Wagerers. and riverboat ramblers. Tonight we pick. Ah! All right. We are back with Brendan Ertel. Brendan is with SB Nation, the host of the Canal Street Chronicles, which is the SB Nation podcast or it's it's part of it's a series on the podcast for the New Orleans Saints and we are going to break down and preview the New Orleans Saints versus the Arizona Cardinals Thursday night football game. How you doing today, Brendan?
1: I'm doing all right, you know, a a better overall record uh would would Always makes the week go by easier and a win uh, on Sunday makes the week go by easier, but it's not the case. And you know, the show goes on still got to produce content.
0: Of course. Look, if anybody understands that I do. So Brendan was on with us in the summertime to preview the saints season between then and now some close games have occurred. Saints haven't come out on the winning end of them, unfortunately. So the record is currently two and four, correct? Correct. Okay. So they have a real opportunity to win against the Arizona Cardinals, another team that is under, probably, probably underwhelmed even more than the saints. I think there was, some, there were some questions regarding the saints and, and how they had built their team up, but um, this is a real opportunity for them. So as we kind of lead our way up to that game, how did we get here with the saints? I mean, they've had injuries up the wazoo, particularly at the receiver position It's just kind of one after the other. At this point, they got Alvin Kamara back and he's, Playing pretty well at this point, I would say, um, but he's kind of doing it on his own, I guess, with help from Taysom Hill. So, so what what's the status of this team? Are they are they a couple of guys come, getting healthy, away from being real contenders? It, I mean, when is Jameis Winston coming back? Like, what what are we looking at here?
1: It, it is really tough tough to say because we've seen this team, you know, decently healthy for one or two games, and that was Week One versus Atlanta in a game that they should have lost. Uh, it took a fourth quarter comeback that no Saints fans ever seen. It was the biggest comeback in franchise history. That being sixteen points. Uh, week two versus Tampa Bay was was a tough game for for the offense. The defense was pretty good. They found a way again to slow down Tom Brady and then offense. Uh, Jameis Winston struggles, has multiple turnovers, and after that week they go to Carolina, and so the Saints are sitting at two and four currently. And throughout these six games. Week three versus Carolina was probably the only game that they didn't have a shot to win in. I, I think they've had a shot in pretty much every single week to to find a way to win, and they've just found ways to lose instead. Um, and that, for Saints fans, is a good thing and a bad thing because Carolina is probably the worst team that you've played. And they didn't look good. They were decently healthy in that game. Uh, you lose Michael Thomas in that game. They lost Jarvis Landry in that game. Both haven't returned since, since week three. Uh, obviously, they've gone through a quarterback change with Jameis Winston getting hurt. Um, I mean, Jameis Winston's battling multiple things, a back injury that he was been able to play through. And he got hurt in training camp. Uh, he hurt his foot. That popped back up, I think, in the Carolina game, was when it really got bad for him. And um, it's been tough to really kind of grade this team because we haven't seen them fully healthy. We haven't seen them. Uh, hit have their best game and usually teams in the beginning of the year tend to struggle and I think the the Arizona Cardinals are in kind of that same situation where they have great talent they have had some mixing of the lineups here and there but I'd say the Saints and the Cardinals are both teams that have underperformed and these are two teams that you'd expect to be you know at or above 500 and this is a huge game for for really both of these teams
0: so coming off a short week, who do we expect to play for the Saints? So, you know, full disclosure, we're recording this on Tuesday, so we might not have a really, really clear idea until tomorrow, Wednesday, when this comes out. But who who do you think, who are the big names you think might be either in or out for this game?
1: Yeah, it, it's been kind of a running joke for for Saints fans to let's not worry about who's out, let's worry about who's playing because it's really been <laughs> that, yeah. that bad of an injury situation. But um, Mike T, Jarvis... Marshall and Lattimore, those are the main three that aren't going to play in this game. Um, probably, they all didn't practice. Uh, Monday, that being, which was a simulated practice, they didn't actually practice. And then today being Tuesday, they both, all of them didn't practice. And that was kind of the main thing that uh, kind of killed this team against Cincinnati was uh, not having Marshall and Lattimore on the field. And the defense, usually a strong point. And most, I'd say, fans and analysts around the league has have known the Saints as a defensive team these past two two to three years. And so far, the Saints defense is ranked 27th in scoring defense. And the offense is middle of the pack, which is something that we totally thought would be reversed. We thought the defense would have to carry the offense moving forward. And the offense wasn't good to start the year either. So it really is a tough situation for this team to find out who's healthy. And it's been frustrating. Keith Kirkwood was a guy they've, they've had in the, in years past, and they brought him back with all the wide receiver injuries. Um, he didn't practice these first two days, which is also frustrating. I think their only really healthy receivers right now are Marquez Callaway and uh, Trey Smith, who are two guys that we we, we love. They're, they're great little players, but it's not two guys you want as your wide receiver one and two. They're great depth pieces, and especially when you're in a quarterback with a situation where uh, both your – QB one and QB two are on the injury report, so um, I expect Andy Dalton to be the starter this week. He's he was limited, and uh, after you know going from Sunday to Thursday, that's a four day difference. So expect to see Andy on Thursday. And um, as as a Saints fan, we don't know who's going to be QB one after that, but I think we can assume that Jamis hasn't necessarily lost his spot yet. So we could see Jamis after that Thursday night game. But yeah, lots lots of people missing in this game for the Saints.
0: It's funny that you say that those two guys really aren't who you want as your wide receiver one and two because that's basically who your wide receiver one and two were last year. Mm-hmm. And then you came into this yep. year finally hoping to have like created depth by inserting all these players in front of them, whether it be Michael Thomas coming back from injury, Chris Olave in the first round, Jarvis Landry in free agency, kind of getting from every every uh, angle. Mm-hmm. But now all those guys are missing again, and I t- I swear it must be pretty... Frustrating, not to like you know hammer the point home, but it's got to be frustrating to uh to have a guy like Chris Olave who's making a real case for a rookie of the year, offensive rookie of the year, to have him go out with a concussion and potentially miss time, especially you know in a season where the length of time missed due to concussion may be longer than we've seen in the past. So uh, it's th- there's a lot of positives when you look at a guy like that coming in and being effective, but it's it's all just really marred by those injuries. So when um, when we're looking at this upcoming game, the Cardinals, I don't think they're dealing quite as consistently with injuries, but they're definitely, they definitely have some. I mean, Marquise Brown was actually having a very good year. He's now out, just in time for DeAndre Hopkins to come back, but we have absolutely no idea what he's going to look like after his time. I mean, you would assume that he'll be good, but will he be dominant? Who's to say? So with this defense that's ranked 27th, I believe you said 27th in scoring, mm-hmm. how do you expect them to match up with an offense that may be inconsistent but can be extremely explosive on, at any given play with the Cardinals?
1: So the, the Saints defense over the course of, like I've said, these two to three years have been very good. But against teams like the Cardinals, the Eagles, um, mobile quarterbacks, they've struggled a lot. And that I don't know if that's because the secondary just when you have a mobile mobile quarterback and a quarterback that can escape the pocket, it's a whole different kind of game plan. And I think we saw that week one with the Saints with Marcus Mariota. We expected kind of this defensive domination. It was the complete opposite. They didn't really know how to contain him. Uh there was a threat of him running and uh they he really did kind of expose them on a lot of runs. Even Joe Burrow this past week was able to dance around the pocket and kind of get around these guys. And I think Uh, The main problem for the Saints has been interior pressure, and you really can't bring down a guy like Kyler or Jalen Hurts or someone that can move quick and make a play with their legs if there's not really a little pocket for them um, to not be able to escape from, and that's been the thing is uh, quarterbacks stepping up, quarterbacks being able to roll out, um, buying time, and that's been an issue with this team is you expect Marcus Davenport and Cam Jordan to have multiple sacks up to this point, and uh, I think a lot of Saints fans would say that our best peer pass rusher is Marcus Davenport, and he's sitting here, what, week seven with half a sack, and that's just not good enough. Uh, yes, we've had injuries and uh, some situations going on with the back end. Tyron Matthews played with three different starting safeties so far. Uh, we've seen Lattimore out of the lineup. We've seen Paulson and Debo out of the lineup. But that gives no excuse. We, we kind of have these high standards for our defensive line because uh, they've invested so highly. And just this past draft two years ago, they drafted Paint Turner. We haven't seen much of him either. So uh, this really needs to be the strength of this team. And uh, I'm, I've talked about it a lot. Is this team will go as far as that defensive line will take them. And over the course of the, those two years where that defense was so good, it was the defensive line that was so dominant. And they just haven't been. And there's not really a rhyme or reason to it because it's the same guys. Uh, they just got to figure it out. And I, I really think that Kyler can – uh, exposed his defense. And I was watching that Seattle game and Seattle did a great job of of flustering him. He was able to move around a little bit, but um, I mean, it wasn't anything dangerous where you'd expect, uh, you know, a hundred yard rushing game or anything like that. And when he did take off, I believe he fumbled one time. So uh, they did a good job containing him. I do see that James Conner uh, is also on the injury report for them. And it just traded for Robbie Anderson, who's been a guy that probably is around the middle of the pack in terms of wide receivers, but always finds a way to make a play against the Saints. So uh, just Saints fans in general just kind of grinned at that one, just seeing that we have to play him again. So,
0: Yeah, I mean, he's he's got one very specific skill set, and that is getting deep. And sometimes with a very aggressive defense, which the Saints, I would say, have been, you know, generally speaking, it served them well, but it does leave you susceptible to that over-the-top play. I mean, the Saints have been playing a good amount of man coverage, in, the, in these few years that we've come to see them as a very good defense. Have they been doing that as much uh, with um, uh, these injuries? I mean, if Marshawn Lattimore is not playing, do you expect them to try and man up? Do you, ter- do you expect them to play a little bit differently and try and, you know, create b- more of a mm-hmm. shell? Because, you know, DeAndre Hopkins is a tremendous receiver, but he's also not exactly a burner either. So I'm just curious what you how you expect them to kind of try and match up.
1: Yeah, I I think that Arizona does have a couple guys you know, deeper in the depth chart who can beat you over top, like Rondale Moore and guys like that. Uh, But just from what I've seen, we've seen one game of the Saints without Lattimore, and they signed Chris Harris Jr., the the vet, who ended up starting in the slacks, were a little banged up um, with with our depth, with uh, Alante Taylor, our our second-round rookie, being out. He just got activated uh, as we speak, and P.J. Williams is on IR, so... Um, That was something that I myself was questioning uh, just how are we going to guard the Cincinnati Bengals because uh, the pass rush last week we kind of expected a a big game from them just the way the Bengals offense line has played and the amount of times that Burrow's been hit throughout these few weeks and it didn't really have an impact on the game there wasn't much of a pass rush they did have moments they did have sacks but it wasn't like constant domination. I think that was part of the reason that the Saints were so worried about getting beat by the, that trio of uh, wide receivers, you know, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, and Jamar Chase, and they really played it safe a lot of times, and they were like, yeah, if you want to throw the the, the six-yard slant and we'll tackle them for seven or eight yards, we're, we're fine with that as long as we're not getting beat deep. And just that constant, slow, uh, methodical drive down the field uh, didn't work for them all game, but it they they figured out late in the game, and that was something that I was worried about uh, eventually when Joe is going to hit on one of those shots, and he did, and Jamar killed us a couple times in the game. So, yeah, that is something that can be concerning, and I, I would expect, you know, if Marshawn was in that game, that there would be a lot of man-to-man coverage, a lot of shadowing, um, a lot of, like you said, shell cover two, maybe more blitzes, but they just didn't trust uh, the guys they had out there, and Joe Burrow kind of picked on Chris Harris Jr., uh, throughout that game and I thought Tyler Boyd had had one of his best games yet this season and it's been a slow start for him so I would expect the Cardinals to do the same thing uh, Kyler I wouldn't say is as good as a little uh, quick option thrower as Burrow is and there was a lot of RPOs in that game as well but Kyler still can burn you in those short passes and I think D Hop does a lot of those things well and um, I think getting their second round pick Alante Taylor back I think he'll have a big kind of uh, role in the slot. I hope I hope he does at least. And Paulson Adibo and Brother Roby, two solid corners, two solid NFL veterans. Uh, Adibo in his second year, he's going through a little sophomore slump. So they really need someone to step up in the back end. We just haven't seen it up to date, honestly.
0: Yeah, I'm really curious about that matchup in particular because, I mean, these new pieces that they have there now, Robbie Anderson and, and DeAndre Hopkins, like we just – we haven't seen either in action this year. Obviously, there's a pretty good track record for Hopkins over the past few years, but, but you know, I, I just wonder. I feel like you gotta play more shells with them. I feel like you have to because if Robbie's gonna try and get deep, that is how Kyler can do the most damage to you the fastest. And mm-hmm. being a smaller guy, he doesn't really love to throw over the middle. If he can, if he can help it, he does prefer to attack the outside. So I, I just, you know, without doing it. What I would call a deep tape dive, I think just on a very basic level, that's probably how you want to try and defend him, but you know, is DeAndre Hopkins just going to tear you up in those zones then I think it's a tough it, you're gonna to have to pick your poison a little bit, and I think you got to try and take the one that's a little bit of a a slower burn and hope for a mistake than just like let yourself be you know burned quick so mm-hmm. um on the offensive side, I don't the Arizona Cardinals defense isn't that good, really. Uh, So I I don't think, I I think that whether, let me put this in in the right phrasing, I'm not sure who wins that matchup is necessarily going to determine who wins the game, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. I think that, sure, the Saints might come out on top with that, but I don't think that they're going to dominate to the point that that will lead them to a victory per se. Same with the Cardinals defense. Even if the Cardinals defense does a little bit better, that might not be the thing that determines the outcome of the game. I think whoever wins the battle between the Cardinals offense and the Saints defense is, is really going to determine how the game plays out and who walks away from this game with a Thursday night win. So um, last thing we'll do here is I want to pick the game. We use play action pools as our official partner here, and they have the Cardinals at minus one and a half visiting the Saints. So they're favoring them slightly in the Saints house. Who do you think is going to walk away with uh, a cover here? Do you think the Saints are going to win outright? you think they're going to get a backdoor cover? Not that there's a lot of room for that. but uh, Or do you think the Cardinals are going to outright cover?
1: <sighs> Tough decision. I have, that's a decision I have to make uh, coming up here soon with uh the company that we're sponsored with, uh, SB Nation as well. So um, I've thought about it a little bit, and it's such a little point spread where you're honestly just picking a winner at that point. Um, right. And... I just think both teams are two and four and I'm kind of thinking who, who needs this win more? Is it, you know, Cliff Kingsbury with his job security just got an extension, I believe. And uh, I I think they have kind of what they need in house. It just needs to figure it out and add some pieces. And for the saints, it's, it's kind of a scramble of uh, who's, who's going to be here next year is is Dennis Allen, the right guy is, um, is Pete Carmichael, their offensive coordinator. Um, I, I think from what I've seen from the Cardinals offense, it hasn't been great things. Um, and like you said, I think that that battle of the Cardinals offense versus Saints defense is going to be kind of who wins the game. And just from the simple fact that the Seattle Seahawks defense, no disrespect to them, they have great young players and I think they'll be very good in the upcoming few seasons, but they shut down the cardinals in pretty much every aspect and made them kind of have a week where you question you you question the coach, you question the quarterback, you question what's what's going on and i think um by them really making a move right after the game to get Robbie Anderson it kind of showed that they needed a change and obviously uh Marquise Brown will be out a while and that makes sense for them. So i i actually think that the saints need this one a little bit more than the cardinals just because they're they're fighting for their season. They're fighting for the future of this franchise. Um, the Cardinals are kind of in a weird spot um, and, and they're kind of team development. I think they have more key injuries at, at certain spots, and the Saints, they're used to this. And we'll be down. Adam Troutman, probably, who's a great blocking tight end. Like we said, Mike Jarvis, but Olave's is back. And I think when Olave's been in, he's been the Saints' wide receiver one. I think that's kind of. Um, getting past a lot of people is that when Mike Jarvis and Olave were in Olave was kind of the main target he was he was getting the most separation he was making the biggest plays so I think getting him back is really a huge factor that could swing the game and um, if the Saints defense is able to hold the Cardinals under 20 points I think the Saints have a shot but um if if not I'm, I'm taking the Cardinals by that one and a half if they can't slow them down on on the offensive side of the ball
0: so I, I don't know if somewhere in there there was an official pick. Are you yeah, I'm, 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 I'm scared to make a pick because
1: every pick I've said about the Saints has been wrong. And I've only picked the Saints a couple of times and um, those have resulted in bad decisions. So I'll take the Saints. It'll be a homer. I'll be biased. And if, if they're wrong, I'll eat my words.
0: Yeah, look, I think this is tough. I mean, part of me wants to lean towards the Cardinals just because they're getting those, that infusion of weapons. But sometimes you just need a little mm-hmm. bit of time you need a little time to develop chemistry. Um, and when it's such a close game and the spread is so tight, I do tend to lean on what I think the preseason, my, what my preseason expectations were. I picked the Saints to go to the playoffs as a wild card. I did not pick the Cardinals to go to the playoffs. thought the Saints were going to be a better team. been a little bit disappointed. Obviously, injuries are a big factor. Cardinals are kind of who I thought they were going to be. So I'll take the Saints in this one, especially getting at least one and a half points but so i'll be i'll be i'll be a saints homer with you um all right brendan i appreciate you very much coming on thank you thank you very much and hopefully we will see you again if the saints play another primetime game i haven't looked far enough ahead on the schedule but if they play a monday or a thursday night i will definitely ask you to come back on the show and talk about where they are with their season again between then and now let everybody know where they can find your work and where they can listen to your show
1: for sure. Well, first off, I'll say I hope that we can give uh, we, meaning the Saints and Cardinals, I hope we can give the the world kind of a, a solid little primetime game. It's I feel like we've had weeks and weeks and weeks of bad primetime, and uh, we'll have one uh, <laughs> coming up with the Bears. I think we'll be in primetime again. Lots of Russell Wilson as well. So hopefully, we can have a little nice little game and uh, excite some people for a Thursday night game, which has been kind of a slugfest this year. Um, but yeah, over at Canal Street Chronicles, SB Nation, um, do lots of writing over there and have my podcast that, uh, preview and breakdown and, you know, uh, right after this recording an episode and talking about the same things that we just talked about. So, um, get a little head start.
0: Beautiful. Yeah. Look there, the bar is very low. If this (laughs) Thursday night game is not better than the last two, I would be genuinely shocked. All right, Brendan, thanks again. And we will see you very soon. Thank you. Thank you all so much for listening to our big midweek episode. Remember, I'm Max Dean. You can find me on Twitter at the Max Dean. And the Gridiron Heroics Football Show is available anywhere podcasts can be found. And we're also on YouTube, where we stream live four days a week, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. Now, tomorrow is Thursday, which means we are going to be hitting our rookie and 2023 prospect episode. That is going to be live on YouTube at 12.45 p.m. Eastern Time. And you can also find it on the normal podcast stream. Appreciate everybody following along with us. If you like, rate, review, follow, subscribe, all of that stuff. Anything you can do helps us out tremendously. We will see you all tomorrow.